Sarah Spreming, and this is Cop Dog Radio, a place where I will share my stories, cases, and considerations when it comes to all things dog sports and dog training. I hope you enjoy it. This is the third time that I've recorded this podcast. <laughs> and I didn't need to tell you that, except that I, I want to tell you that because I'm on the road to Sinosport, just like I was um, during last week's podcast. I spent a week in Colorado in between, which was really lovely with my family. Um, and today I was driving across Missouri and I recorded the podcast twice on the road Um you can do that on a voice memo on your phone, just in case anyone was wondering. And you can do that without ever taking your eyes off the road, um, just in case anyone's concerned for my safety. And, but I did it twice, and twice technology did not agree. So I'm really hoping that this third time is the charm. The good news is I like the second podcast better than the first one. And I'm really hoping that I like this third one better than the second one. Um, and so I guess that's why I'm sharing this with you because I think we sometimes get worried about in training, attempting something that we did well once again. And what we don't realize is that fear of maybe the next time not living up to the last time can really be outweighed by the, the, just really awesome thing that sometimes happens, which is that the next time is better than the previous time. So, you know, maybe you've trained a really beautiful running dog walk and you're looking at your new dog and you're saying, can I pull this off again? And I'm going to say the answer is you can. And the answer is you can do it better. So here we go. This is attempt three at part two in my series on effective behavior change. And you might hear some chewing in the background. That's because I'm in a hotel room and my dogs always have bones in hotel rooms. Um, They have have bones almost all the time, but definitely religiously in hotel rooms so that they are occupied and less likely to bark at, you know, sounds in the hallway and less likely to, you know, want to bother me while I'm trying to work and that kind of thing. And and basically, bones make for happy dogs. So I love that sound. And I hope that you guys love it too, coming through your podcast. Um, so part two on effective behavior change. Uh, last week was part one. And we talked about what makes for effective replacement behaviors. And today we're going to talk about antecedent arrangements. Um, Layman's terms for that would be management, environmental management. So antecedents are what precede behavior. So in a behavior cycle, you've always got an antecedent. That's kind of the scene that in which the behavior occurs. And then you've got the behavior. And then you've got the consequence following the behavior. So it's ABC, super easy to remember. Uh, the antecedent, like I said, the scene that allows the behavior to occur, then the behavior happens, 
And then the consequence happens. And the consequence is what makes the behavior happen again. The, the antecedent didn't make the behavior happen in the first place. And it doesn't make the behavior happen again. It just allows the behavior to happen. Because it can't happen unless it's got kind of the right setup to happen. So um, that's important to us when we're thinking about behavior change. Because there are a lot of instances in which behavior change can be achieved really easily uh, through just manipulating the antecedents. And there aren't any situations in that I know of in which behavior change can be super effectively um, obtained without manipulating the antecedents. I'm a huge fan of saying, I say this all the time, Manipulate the environment, not the dog. So whenever possible, do not attempt to manipulate the dog's behavior. Just manipulate the environment. So don't attempt to sorry, manipulate the B in ABC. Just attempt to manipulate the A and the C. So we're going to talk later about um, manipulating the C, the consequences. But today we're going to talk about the antecedents which is manipulating the A. So let me just give you a couple of examples to make this really easy and clear. Countersurfing is a very popular problematic, popular, <laughs> unpopular, really common problematic behavior in pet dogs. Um, they like to get up on the counter, surf for what might be there and eat whatever might be there. I've definitely had a couple of counter surfers in my life. Very possible that the current one is um, a reincarnation of the previous one, but we won't go down that road. So what do you do when you've got a counter surfer? I don't know a whole lot of positive reinforcement based trainers who have really great go to solutions for this. And I think the reason is you've got to manipulate the environment um, effectively in order to change this behavior and you've got to manipulate it for a long time. So couple of things that I would like to do with that. Number one is I want to gate off the kitchen. I want to stop allowing the dog access to the kitchen, period. You could do only that, right? If you did only that, you would not have modified behavior at all. You would have just removed the dog from the antecedent in which the behavior occurs, right? So if there are no counters to surf counter surfing will not happen. So that's an option. Um, I would do that. But then in addition, I would also allow the dog in the kitchen certain times. And during those times, I would be certain that the counters were barren, that there was nothing up there, nothing for them to eat and also nothing for them to explore or root through. It should literally just be the slick barren countertop, nothing else. And then I would have really amazing stuff hidden on the floor. So I would have cookies under the rug and I would have a frozen Kong stuck under the kitchen table and I would have a raw bone over here. And so the dog would come into the kitchen um, during predetermined times. And during those times, the counters would be strategically barren. Um, and then also strategically there would be really great enrichment tools. So things to chew and eat left for them on the floor. So that would be an example of 
effective behavior modification through antecedent arrangement. Would it take a long time? It would. Could you do some other things to modify the behavior? Of course you could, and it would certainly depend. But in this podcast, we're talking about antecedent arrangements, and those are two ways that you could modify the environment instead of attempting to modify the dog's behavior. And through doing so, you'd produce reinforcement for um, a behavior that you would prefer, which is the dog um, chewing and rooting through things on the floor as opposed to the counter. So that's just one example. Um, Another one that brings up another kind of interesting point would be that if your dog bolts out the front door, this is a behavior that... Again, very common in pet dogs, and it's one that scares people a lot, and rightfully so. It's a dangerous behavior for dogs to engage in. You really need to step up the environmental management on this for a couple of reasons. Number one is to keep your learner safe. If the dog has a reinforcement history for bolting through the door, you need to put something in place that doesn't allow them to do that behavior anymore because that behavior has been reinforced therefore it is likely to be repeated and it's very important for our learner's safety that we stop that behavior from occurring right now today easy way to do that is with an x-pen either right outside the door or right inside the door or you could baby gate off um the entryway of your home, depending on how your house is set up. But I would right away block access to that door. And the reason, again, is for the dog's safety. Now, instead of jumping to management like that, which is what I would do, and certainly I would train the dog not to bolt through the door. I would train the dog an alternative behavior, and I would do that right away, and I would work very hard on it. But in the meantime, I would put management in there. And the reason is I need to reduce stress in my teacher. So if I'm a teacher, and which is what I'm being, if I'm teaching the dog not to run through the door, and I'm feeling stress about the dog's quote-unquote wrong choice because their wrong choice might be dangerous for them, I'm not going to be a good teacher. In the same sense that the learner cannot do its job of learning well if it is stressed. I cannot do my job of teaching well if I am stressed. And this is why people jump to um, corrections, yelling, collar popping, all kinds of ugly stuff like that that may or may not be helpful but is certainly frequently damaging uh, to the human-dog relationship because they're stressed, they're scared, they're concerned, and this is understandable. So all we want to do, instead of jumping to those corrections, we want to jump to management. Let's just make it so it can't happen if a mistake occurs. And then meanwhile, let's really work hard on teaching that alternative behavior. It's a really good idea to go there instead. I had a client a very long time ago who said to me, you know, you know, her dog was door dashing. She was running out the front door, running amok in the neighborhood. Her dog thought it was a fantastic time. And so anytime she got the chance, she would do it. And it was absolutely terrifying, my client. And she said, she looked me in the eye and she said, you know, I'm against it, but should I get a shot collar? And she knew that I wasn't in favor of an electronic training collar either. 
But she still asked me the question because she knows that I am a practical person um, and I realize that this dog's safety is at risk. And I said to her, you know what, if I thought that would work, I might tell you yes, but I don't. So here's what we're going to do instead. We're going to put in some management so that this cannot be a problem for you. And she wound up installing um, an airlock. So basically, she wound up fencing in her front porch. And to my knowledge, it's still fenced in, but the dog doesn't bolt out the door anymore because we trained her. So two wonderful things have happened. One, the dog has been trained. So the dog understands how to obtain positive reinforcement in a more effective way. And two, the person doesn't ever feel stressed about it. And how lovely is that? That's really the best of both worlds. So that's another great example of um, manipulating the environment and not the dog. So just through environmental manipulation, we can really help everybody achieve their goals. And so kind of on that note, um, when we are trying to change the behavior of dogs, we as professional dog trainers have to change the behavior of our clients in order to achieve that. Or if we are training our own dogs, we have to do the same thing. We have to change our behavior in order to effectively change our dog's behavior. And we deserve antecedent arrangements that help us do that too. So if you're a dog trainer and you complain about lack of compliance in your clients, I want you to listen up. You can be better about antecedent arrangements for your clients because they're your learners too. It's not just the dogs that are your learners. And in fact, for most professional dog trainers, the dogs are not our learners. The people are our learners. And we should do better at learning how to teach them, I think. Um, So I'll give you an example of a case I had several years ago when I was doing a lot of in-home pet uh, dog training It was a really nice Labradoodle that really just kind of got crazy when daddy came home from work. So um, it was a childless husband and wife couple and the wife worked later than the husband. Um, She kind of took care of the dogs in the morning, the dog in the mornings, and then he kind of took care of the dog in the evenings. And um, so when he got home, the dog had been alone for probably four or five hours and she was thrilled beyond words to see him and that's totally understandable um but she being a young boisterous labradoodle would jump all over him you know she was digging her dew claws into his flesh and she was tearing at his expensive work clothing and she it was just a very unpleasant experience for him to come home and greet his dog and so we certainly did a whole lot of stuff for her. Uh, we made her environment a little more interesting so that she didn't go from four to five hours of absolute nothingness to somebody coming home. Um, so we did all kinds of stuff there. I don't want you to think that what I'm about to tell you is the only thing that we did. But what was really important is that I knew that this man's behavior would have to change in order for his dog's behavior to change. And this didn't have anything to do with his demeanor or how much he loved her or how he greeted her. I'm not talking about that mystical stuff that really isn't important. What I'm talking about is that he needed to walk in that door and be a dog trainer after he'd been at his, you know, busy high stress job all day. And so what we did is the dog 
would be gated. We decided she'd be gated in um, one in kind of the back half of the house, which was accessible through um, a garage door. And that was ideally where her owner would be coming in. He'd park in the garage and then he'd walk through into the kitchen through that door and there was the dog. So what we did is we gated her in that back area and I said to him, you know, anytime you cannot be a dog trainer for whatever reason, you walk in through the front door and the dog can't access you through the front door, period. So there would be times when he needed to quickly change and go somewhere else. Um, he'd go in through the front door, go upstairs, get changed, go back out through the front door and get in his car and leave. Um don't worry, the dog will be taken care of either by a dog walker or by his wife very shortly after that. But, you know, in those moments where he was in a hurry, he was given an out. He could go through the front door. And then the other thing we did, and of course, we trained this dog in alternative behavior. And you can listen to the last podcast on replacement behaviors to kind of hear about that. But he needed to grab his treats, walk in that garage door and work that alternative behavior when he walked in. And so what we did is we loaded up just a bunch of Tupperware of cut up tiny treats in the fridge that was in the garage. And we even put a sign on the fridge that said treats. So he'd pull into the garage and park his car. And the first thing he would see was the fridge with the sign that said treats. So antecedent arrangement for the human. He saw the treats. He could reach in, load up his pockets and walk in that door into the garage and start dog training and in a matter of weeks you guys this behavior was eradicated the dog was a million times better and it was it was really fantastic for everybody now let's flip that around and say i just told him he had to be a dog trainer and i didn't make the sign that said treats and i didn't preload his fridge with a bunch of cookies and i didn't help him teach that dog in a replacement behavior and I just said, when you walk in that door, you need to start being a dog trainer. Of course, that's going to be hard for him. And very, very importantly, I needed to give him that out. Because you and I both know that there are times when we cannot be dog trainers. I'm a dog trainer 90% of the day, but there is 10% of the time when I am not. And I need an out for that 10% of the time. And if I don't have an out for that 10% of the time... I'm either going to inadvertently reinforce unwanted behaviors or I'm going to be a person that I don't like and I'm going to, you know, maybe yell at my dogs or do something else like that that I, that of course we all do, but we can prevent ourselves from doing with better antecedent arrangements. So antecedent arrangements and environmental manipulation is not just for dogs. It's for our human learners as well. And it's really, really important that we think about it really hard whenever we are attempting to change the behavior of either a dog or a person. So thanks, you guys, for listening. Thanks for um, hanging in there with me. I know you didn't know you were hanging in there with me as I recorded three podcasts today. I'm going to say I do think this was the best one. So I'm really excited that I stuck it out and recorded it for a third time. Please have a conversation about this on my Cog Dog Radio Facebook page. That's Cog Dog Radio. You can search for that on Facebook and find it. 
Or you can find it through the Cognitive Canine Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash the Cognitive Canine. If you have any questions or suggestions about the podcast, shoot them over to cogdogradio at gmail.com. I may not be able to respond to all of those emails, but rest assured that I do read every one. And if you'd like to subscribe to my newsletter, which basically keeps you up to date on all the happenings with Cognitive Canine, just send an email to cogcanineinfo at gmail.com and just put newsletter in the title bar. You don't have to put a message in there, but you certainly are welcome to if you would like to. And we will get you on that newsletter list. So thanks you all for listening. Thank you for listening to CogDog Radio. If you've got questions or suggestions, you can shoot them over to CogDogRadio at gmail.com. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. See you next time.